1: Really glad that you've joined me, and thank you for all your presence on social media and checking out the website and listening to the podcasts and sending them around. I appreciate that. And last week, if you were able to listen, we had Josh McDowell on air, and in, let's see, next week, we're having Ruth Graham we also are having Rob Ekno and Layton Ford in October. So we have lots of great guests that are coming on the show that I think you will really enjoy, that will be very helpful, very encouraging, and exhorting to you. So today, we are going to focus more on what uh, Josh McDowell was talking about last week, and that's the issue of loneliness. And so I've entitled this show, Loving My Enemy, An Antidote for Loneliness. And I think this will will really help maybe just to recenter or redirect the way that we look at other people and do relationships and also how we do relationship with ourself. So what does the Bible really say about loneliness? I mean, are you lonely? Are you there for yourself? Uh, how, how do you relate to you? Do you judge you? Do you abandon you? Do you criticize you? Because what we find is that the relationship you have with yourself has a tendency to be the relationship language that you speak to others. So even if you're trying to be somebody different to the people outside of you, eventually who you are and how you relate to you will be revealed. So you want to really recognize that it's it's something that comes from inside out. It's not outside in. So it's the way I relate to me is what emanates out of me. So what is Isaiah forty three forty one ten? This is one of my favorite verses. It says, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Deuteronomy chapter 31.6, another one of my favorite memory verses, says be strong and courageous do not be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you and he will never leave you or forsake you do not be afraid do not be discouraged and so I love this idea that God really understands the plight of the lonely and that he takes it very seriously He tells us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And he says here in Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So money passes away, but God does not. So that relationship that we have with God and the way that he loves us, the way that he relates to us should be the way we relate to ourselves. If you think about one of the tenets of psychotherapy is when we look at family of origin issues and we say, huh, how, what happened when you were being raised? How did your parents relate to you? How did they love you? How did they discipline you? What was your family life like? Because that many times dictates the language The emotional and and relational language that we walk away with and that we start to then match with other people outside of us this is why people are always saying to me why do I keep going out with the same type of people I meet them and I think they're different and then they're exactly the same as everybody else I've been with well this is that elusive emotional language that we all have that we connect with people that have that same type of relating so one of the best ways to change who you interact with or, or raise the bar of interacting with people that may be healthier is change your own relationship language with yourself and mirror God. And I love this. This is John 14, verse 18. And it says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And our famous Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Psalms seven three says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So I want you to do your own search just for verses that mean something to you. When it comes to settling your own heart Comforting your own heart. And when it comes to understanding that God is a God that is a very present help in times of trouble, He is a very present God. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. And that He is not going to judge us. See, we all are worthy of being judged. None of us, we all have fallen short. But God says, you know, I kind of got over that. When Adam and Eve fell, He knew what He was getting into. When he decided to go forward with the human race, he knew exactly the humans that he was going to deal with. And he decided and made the choice that he would never leave us, in spite of what he knew about us. So let's look at this idea of loving our enemy. What does that really mean? And see, there there are five things I have found that really angered Jesus. So I want you to think about this. And this is certainly important as we understand that we are passionate people. We are given to strong feelings and many times stronger opinions. And few in our culture are confused about what matters to us. So frankly, you wanna think about believers. They're known for what we are against. We are rarely known for what we are for. And oftentimes the list is really long. So certainly some of what we are against is absolutely worthy of being against and we should fight against it. But some of the things that we get irritated about really have nothing to do with biblical truth. And so if you want to read more about this, this church, South Bay Church, has a great set of podcasts and also lectures that they have done. And so I like, so I'm borrowing some of what they have said. I like what they have said in terms of what what kind of presence we as christians should be having so i believe the word of god is clear about what matters to god and his opinions include the most important things to him are mercy and grace forgiveness eternal life injustice abuse truth and discord within the body of christ so you have to remember that just like a microcosm, the body of Christ is a bigger version of each of us individually. We make it up. So what do people experience when they experience Christians? And, and here we are purporting to say that God is love, <coughs> excuse me, that God is forgiving, that God is kind. But are we doing that or do we get so stuck on right and wrong and what we think is egregious, that we want to fight more about content and, and, and facts and opinions than we want to fight for the people. So we have lots of things, and I'm sure that you know many of the things that, that upset you. It might be the volume of the worship music. I mean, seriously, I, I understand that. That is one of the ways I knew I was getting older is that I would go to churches and I'm like, wow, the music is loud. And you have to remember, you know me, I sang in rock bands all through my twenties you know, and thirties. I mean, I loved loud music and I thought, wow, this is loud. But how do I redirect myself? I remind myself that this is for the body of believers. And there are many people that get so much out of feeling, feeling the music in their body can I overlook that? Can I still enjoy worship? Absolutely. Because it's not about individuals. It's not about worship geared for me. It's the church. It's the church engaging in that. And so we don't like maybe people wearing, guys wearing hats in church. We don't like people wearing, I don't know, being too casual with the way that they dress. Maybe we don't like the, the translation of the Bible. You know, the list goes on. But this is what we want to remember. As Christ followers, what would really be obviously upsetting to Jesus? Because that's what should disturb us. So think about what Jesus really gets upset about. And what we want to actually camp on. So, one of the first things that we know that really upset Jesus is the hardness of heart. And this is in mark chapter three one through five it says then he went back in the meeting place where he found a man with a crippled hand and the pharisees had their eyes on jesus to see if he would heal them hoping to catch him on the sabbath as an infraction he said to the man with the crippled hand stand here where we can see you then he spoke to the people that's important he spoke to the people he said what kind of action suits the sabbath best?" suits the sabbath best doing good or doing evil helping people or leaving them helpless and no one said a word so we're coming up to our first break and we're going to talk more about what really should disturb us so we know what to take a stand on and what to just simply ignore and I tell many clients I say you know I have this button in the back of my head and I just kind of tip my head and it reminds me there are so many things I ignore and delete so I just kind of tip my head and I go, ignore, delete, ignore, delete. Because if I don't ignore it and delete it, I get all caught up in it. It's, it snags me. And I don't want to be a walking piece of Velcro, right, that snags on everything. So this is Cynthia I with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about what should really anger and disturb us. Well, good afternoon, and welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. If you've just tuned in, make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can also go to the radio station's website, thirteen KPXQ1360, and all the podcasts are on those, those websites, as well as all of the other podcasts. We have them all over the place, and thank you for sending them to your friends and listening to them. And so we are talking today about loneliness, uh, kind of dovetailing off of what Josh McDowell, what we were talking about with him last week and about relationships and why God wants us in relationship. And so we're, we're, I'm focusing on what are the things that really anger Jesus? Because one of the things that inhibits relationship and intimacy and getting along is when we get upset about things that really Jesus is overlooking, that God is ignoring and so if you are just tuning in, I gave this idea that, I, that God gave me years ago about having what I call the ignore-delete button in my head. And there are so many things that I ignore and delete because it really doesn't matter. In the course of eternity, it doesn't really matter. And if I don't, then I'm one of those people that's constantly having whiplash. Everything's bugging me. Everything's bothering me. Everything's snagging me. So one of the things we talked about in the last segment was the hardness of heart. That really bothers Jesus. When we get so caught up in black and white and facts and figures and what we think is truth and justice and miss the relationship, <coughs> excuse me, miss the relationship peace. And the next thing that I want you to think about that really bothers God, selfish ambition. And so this is Mark chapter 8, 31, says Jesus warned them to keep quiet, not to breathe a word of it to anyone. He then began explaining things to them. He said it's necessary that the Son of Man proceed in order in the ordeal of suffering, to be tried and found guilty by elders, high priests, religious scholars, and to be killed And after three days, to rise up alive. He said this simply and clearly so they couldn't miss it. But you know what happened? In verse 32, it says, Peter grabbed him in protest. Turning and seeing his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe, Jesus confronted Peter and he said, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. So selfish ambition, what we're seeing, is it isn't just you know, the love of money. It isn't just greed or, you know, whatever sin besets us. Selfish ambition, God is saying, has everything to do with how we may want to feel in any given moment. See, Peter didn't want to lose Jesus. It was, it was an honest desire. He loved Jesus. And Jesus said, no, that, that ambition is wrong. Your ambition is off. It may be loving. It may be well-intentioned. But it's wrong. So we have to be very careful when we are looking at selfish ambition and not just think it has to do with the love of money, etc. So let's think about this next one, spiritual arrogance. This really gets in the way of relationship with God and then affects our relationship with others. And this is Luke chapter 9.51. And it says, When it came close to the time for his ascension... He gathered up his courage, steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead. They came to a Samaritan village to make arrangements for his hospitality. But when the Samaritans learned that his destination was Jerusalem, they refused hospitality. So Jesus turned on them because they said, previously, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them because of their in- his inhospitable ways? And Jesus turned on them and said of course not of course not see Jesus didn't take the bait what they were doing was they refused hospitality to Jesus and the disciples and it's offensive and Jesus said you know move on don't worry about it that's where they're at that's how they think they'll grow they'll change hopefully but it's not a battle that Jesus took on So we have to be very wise as to what we are actually supposed to be confronting and addressing and what we just leave alone. Many times in my sessions, I will say to clients, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Walk away. It'll just get more messy and it'll get more complicated. Just get over it. Walk away. Major in the majors, not in the minors. Another One of the five things that really bugs God, really upsets him, is self-centeredness. So this is in Matthew chapter 23, 10, and 12. It says, don't let people do that to you, put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father, and he's in heaven. Don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them, and that is Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't take, you know, we don't get educated. We don't take, you know, counsel from other people. That's just being wise. But ultimately, we have to be very careful that we don't put any human being higher than god higher than jesus and the last one that really really offends the lord is hypocrisy and fake religiosity he calls these people frauds and he says in verse 42 in chapter luke chapter 11 he says i've had it with you you're hopeless you pharisees frauds you keep meticulous account books tithing on every nickel and dime you get but manage to find loopholes for getting around basic matters of justice and God's love. Careful bookkeeping is commendable. The basics are required, but you're hopeless. You Pharisees are frauds. You're sitting at the head of the table at church dinners, love preening yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. Frauds. You're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice grassy surface, never suspecting the rot and corruption that is six feet under. This is huge. This is God talking about our our inside world, our heart. We don't want to have it be rotten inside of us. We don't want to look good on the outside and not have that be on the inside. We want the inside to be beautiful so that it emanates out, not in. That the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of our life, the beauty of who, who he wants us to be and has created us to be emanates from out from inside to out and that reflects the love of God so you you want to think about this whole idea about please stop being angry at Christians stop being an angry Christian and stop being angry at all the lost people it doesn't mean I'm not angry at what they say absolutely I'm not gonna give a lot of that a pass but many of the people that maybe I'm angry at, I don't even know. I've never sat next to them. I've never talked to them. So it's important to be angry about information without hating or judging a person you've never met. We judge information. We judge behaviors. But God judges the heart. Now, we can certainly make assumptions and say, you know what, that behavior and that, those words and that type of lifestyle maybe is emanating from their heart. Maybe they are that, but really that's up to God to figure out. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about how do I love someone that's unlovable? Well welcome back, I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you always for joining me today and we are talking about loving my enemy, the antidote to loneliness. Why would I say that? Why would I say loving my enemy? Well, one of the things that we have talked about on this show is that this idea, and we just finished this last segment, about what is inside of me has a way of revealing itself outside of me. So if I hate myself, I'm going to be more prone to hating other people. If I judge myself, I'll be more prone to judging other people. So many times, loving the enemy may be ourself. And if you were listening last week, we talked some about why God wants us in relationship and that we have this important triune, and that's the me, myself, and I. And I say to clients oftentimes, how do I talk to me about myself? And you want to really understand, how do I relate to me? What do I think about myself? Do I love myself? Do I like me? Do I like what I just said? That's the piece that we want to think about, is how do we love someone that's unlovable? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 33. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is what it says. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work. The barren pursuits of darkness expose these things for the sham they are it's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they do most do in the darkness where no one will see so rip the cover off those frauds see how attractive they look in the light of Christ wake up from your sleep climb out of your coffins Christ will show you the light so watch your step use your head make the most of every chance you get These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. Don't drink too much wine, that cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge draughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs for your heart to Christ, sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father is in the name of the Master Jesus Christ is worthy. So what is God saying here? He's saying, wake up. Climb out of your coffins. They're so comfortable. Living, living a life that is, that is of complaining, of commiserating, of criticizing, blaming, judging. Th- this comes natural to humans. We have to resist it. And it takes effort. It really does but that is a place of death. That will never bring life to you, the other people that you are judging or any relationship you have. So let's look at this. This is verse 21. It says out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Now, sometimes people may interpret that as only for Christians. Now, wouldn't that be ridiculous that God loves all people He's hoping that no one is lost. He wants all to come home to him. So we want to be reverent to another, even if they're not reverent to us. We want them to have a different experience of what comes naturally to them. Because that possibly could cause them to turn. They may say, you know what? I like how that person treated me. Maybe I want to do that with other people. So verse 29, it says, no one abuses his own body, does he? No one, no, he feeds and pampers it. Now, you and I both know that many times the feeding and the pampering actually is abuse. So he goes on to say that Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. We are one flesh. This is a huge mystery. And he says, this provides a good picture of how. We are to love and treat each other. And this is imperative when you think about this triune of everything that is in you will eventually emanate out. So you can be really polite and you can be really fun to be around, but as soon as you start to become intimate with somebody, they start to know who you really are. All those things that God is wanting to change, all those things that God is wanting to hone and correct and make sure that you are actually being who he truly designed you to be. And it's a scary, scary adventure and a very difficult endeavor, but one that is so worthy of work and effort. You are valuable. You deserve the work. You deserve the attention and the time to be the best version of who you are the best version you could ever be. So we know this this, in Matthew 5. It says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your enemy. And it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I mean, love your friend, hate your enemy. And the, the, the apostle says, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. So if you are at odds with you, if you don't like being with you, then you need to change that relationship with you and love your enemy. Love yourself as you would love others. Join me in the last segment. Thank you so much for joining me. I hear the whispers in my well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and we have one more segment. So if you're just tuning in, Make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and on the, the, the pa- first page, at the top of the, the page, it'll say you'll see all these different you know words that you can click on, and the one that says radio will take you to the part in the website that has all the radio shows, the most current ones. And then we have them on all kinds of podcast servers so that you can listen to ones that were back in 2012 even. So thank you again for supporting the show and listening and sending them to your friends. And we are talking today about loving your enemy, the antidote for loneliness. Because what you will find, the more I care about me, the more I'm okay with me, the more I'm at peace with me, any loneliness I have to tolerate is easier. If I hate myself, if I don't want to be around myself, if I think I should be different, if I'm judging myself all the time, comparing and contrasting myself to other people, and then I have to endure some loneliness, it's going to be absolutely unbearable. I have to learn to be there for me and not abandon me. Everything I do with me, how I interact with me, how I treat me, how I think toward myself needs to reflect the way that God thinks and acts and treats me. That's the template now, none of us are going to to do it well. I'm, I'm, we, it's all about trying, and God really appreciates effort. He really does. So we were talking about in the Message Bible in Matthew chapter five, verse forty-four. It says, "You're familiar with the old written law: love your friend, and the insinuation is to hate your enemy." And he says, Matthew says, "I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies." Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Now, isn't that so appropriate for the political environment that we have going on right now? Let them bring the best out in us. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true self, your God-created self. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, to expect a bonus. Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do, you expect a medal. Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. So let's look at what Luke has to say in chapter 6, verse 27. He says, To you who are ready for the truth ready are you ready for the truth i say this love your enemies let them bring out the best in you not the worst if someone grabs your shirt gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it if someone takes unfair advantage of you use the occasion to practice the servant life no more tit for tat stuff live generously and i love this verse this is one of my favorite all-time verses this is luke chapter 6:35 it says i tell you love your enemies help and give without expecting a return you'll never i promise regret it live out this god created identity the way our father lives toward us generously and graciously even when we're at our worst our father is kind you be kind so this is, this is very important. And God leaves us some, some final exhortations, and he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is important. How do we make sure that we are continuing to have a pure heart and the mind of Christ? ask for the peace of God and be thankful in prayer presenting what you need to God and don't be anxious and he goes on to say finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is holy whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think on these things Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So let's look at this idea of where do I start? Where do I start with all of this? I mean, these are great, you know, concepts, but this is what I want you to ask yourself. Now, you don't have to do any of it, but I want you to ask yourself these things. What have people wanted me to start doing or stop doing see many times we want to hide from ourselves right or we go yeah I know I know I need to do that but sometimes when we when we really understand the effect that we have on other people we can say you know what one of the best ways I could love someone is to actually do what they need what they desire what they want that is a true act of unselfish love That's saying even if I don't feel like I'm going to get benefit for it, I'm going to do it for them. Now, I'm not talking about codependency, right? I'm talking about having a heart of an adult with character that says, I truly want to love somebody. So what do people want me to start doing or stop doing? Do they think I harm myself? Do I demean myself? Do they want me to stop doing an addiction? Do they want me to start taking care of myself? Do they want me to stop with horrible, terrible language that's demeaning and demoralizing to me and others around them? Do they want me to stop doubting myself and begin trusting God? What do they want me to start? What do they want me to stop? And then self-responsibility. I want you to say to yourself, what did I do to get me here? what got me here because we want to use all kinds of excuses and explanations as to environmental situations that created the problem that we have or the thing that we should stop or start doing we want to blame other people we want to blame our past whatever whatever it is that we want to blame now it's fine if we have explanations I think explanations are helpful but we don't ever let an explanation be an excuse an explanation simply helps us understand so that we have a better ability to make the change so what did I do what did I do to get me here not what was done to me what did I do to get me here what would or could or should I do differently now this is important because we always are telling people stop shooting on yourself you know this, this is important to be able to say the could've, the would've, the should ofs can help me if I'm using them retrospectively to actually learn. If I say, you know, when I look back on that situation, this is what I could have done. Or, you know what, I wish this is what I should have done. If I would have done this, then I could do this. So it is not for self-abuse. It is not to beat ourselves up. It's to simply learn And do differently in the future that's all it is all God asks us to do is learn we're children of his he just simply wants us to learn so that we take that learning and make better decisions in the future because that has great a great ripple effect on all the people in our lives so ask yourself this how have I hurt my friends my family my spouse my colleagues my neighbors And do I really, sincerely, and genuinely feel sad, bad, or hurt because of it? Am I giving myself a pass? Do I think it's okay if I know that I have hurt, if I have harmed people that are in the sphere of my life, that tribe, that group, whatever that is, if it was my neighbor, if it was a family member, if it was a spouse, if it was a child, even if it's an adult child, how have I hurt these people? And this is really good self-reflection, not to beat ourselves up with, but to really be able to give that to God and to say, you know what, what do I need to do with that? I know I hurt them. Can you direct me into how best to fix it? And sometimes God will say to you, leave it alone. Don't bring it up. Don't. You need to bear that burden. Sometimes God will say, you need to apologize, you need to write a letter, whatever, you need to restore maybe what was lost. So this is really important. This last thing, I want you to really say to yourself, what would be the most important thing to start doing today or to stop doing today? How would you answer that question? See, we posed it in the very beginning about what are, what are people in your life, what do the people in your life that love you or that work with you, what do they want you to stop or start doing? So as you go through that whole self-reflection of what did I do to get here, right? <clears throat> what could I should have or would have done differently? What, what, how in retrospect can I learn from my past? How have I hurt people? Do I need to undo it? Do I need to just learn from it? Do I need to repent? Do I need to ask for forgiveness? Do I need to restore? Do I need to replace? And am I really sincerely and genuinely contrite? Or do, do, am I really just blithely saying, oh, well, they'll get over it. I'll just try to do it better next time. Because this is you asking you. This is not allowing the enemy to shame you or guilt you or cause you to try to do extraordinary above and beyond things that that really God is not asking you to do. It's you getting to know you so that you have a proper relationship with yourself, so that you know how to lead and guide and direct yourself. And one of the things that people that know how to lead, guide, and direct themselves know is how to be led, guided, and directed sometimes by others. So really important, concept to learn so what is the most important thing for you today to start doing what do you need to stop doing and this is imperative for you to really really take some time to think about if I want successful relationships I want to be loved then I need to be lovable I say I say to people frequently if you want to be loved be lovable we know how to do that It takes effort to contain myself control myself and be someone that people actually would want to be with it doesn't mean I'm being perfect and it doesn't mean I'm being somebody I'm not it means I'm taking responsibility for this one person that I am taking charge of how I act how I think how I feel and understand that that will affect people in my life so what do you need to start doing today? It may be the way you think. You may need to stop thinking a certain way toward yourself. You may need to start thinking a certain way. You may need to stop self-abuse. You may need to start self-care. So these are imperative thoughts for you to really be considering. And I don't want you to bury yourself with it. I don't want you to, to, to be overwhelmed by it. This is just part of the more I take care of me, the better I am at taking care of others. The more I love me, the more loving I am toward others. The more I forgive me, the more forgiving I am. And these are really important things to be doing in our society, especially now, because people, frankly, are very unlovable right now. (laughs) They are really doing some things and saying some things and acting in ways that are many times outrageous and egregious it doesn't mean that they are not worthy of being loved so sometimes love is an action it isn't necessarily a feeling so i'm going to leave you with that today god bless you thank you so much for listening to the show today thank you for your feedback and have a great week